Thank you, Bill. Good morning to everybody. Great to be together, isn't it? Beautiful day outside, but whether, whatever the weather might be outside, it's a beautiful day inside here as we come together to worship God and to be in fellowship with one another. If you're visiting with us today, we do hope you will fill out a visitor's card, just leave it on your seat so we can have a record of your presence here today. And we encourage you just, if you have questions about anything you see or hear us do or say or teach, please ask. We keep saying we just want to be the church we read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And again, if you have any questions, please ask. We thank you for being here and we pray that you are being blessed by worshiping with us today and studying God's word and you're already a blessing to us. We hope you come back every time you have the opportunity. If you're traveling, be safe so that uh, you get to where you're going carefully, safely. When you're back in the area, come see us again. I want us to talk about a new beginning, a new beginning. You know, I suppose at times every one of us in one frame of reference or another would have liked to have had a chance to do it over. We'd like to have had the chance to begin again. We might say, get a new beginning. That might have to do with some decision we've made. Maybe it's, maybe it's even at work. Maybe it's at our job. Maybe it's in a particular relationship. You know, I wish I could start over on this. I wish I could go back to the beginning. I wish I could do it differently. A fresh start, a do-over, or if you understand golf, you're, we're talking about a mulligan on life. What happened? Okay, that doesn't count that much. I'm gonna get to go back and start over again. I'm gonna make it right this time. Well, I suppose just about every one of us at times would have liked to have had a do-over. Some of us, from the broader perspective, we might say, I wish I could go back to the beginning of my life and start over again. Have a do-over there, a new beginning. But again, in other applications, it may be for a particular situation or another. How many times have people said, if I knew before what I know now, and then you fill in the blanks of whatever comes next based upon what they're really referring to. I'd change some action taken, I'd make a different decision, I'd change the direction of my life or in this particular relationship or whatever. If I could only turn back the hands of time, people think. How many times have you thought that? How many times have you maybe looked at a picture from 20 or 30 or 40 years ago and you say, wow, how could that have been that long ago? And then you begin to think about all kinds of different situations that have taken place since then and maybe sometimes you get kind of melancholy and you might think, I wish I could go back and do it over again. I wish I could make some different decisions. If I could only turn back the hands of time, a particular car accident never would have happened. I'd take a different route. I'd, I'd change a business decision that resulted in pretty serious loss for me and my family. I wouldn't drop out of school, I, that's for sure. I'd finish, I'd get my degree, I'd get my, my graduation certificate. I, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't get hooked on drugs, I wouldn't be hooked on alcohol. I would not have committed some of the crimes I've committed. I wouldn't be in jail, that's for sure. I'd raise my children differently if I could go back just at the beginning and start over again with them. But time, like a bar of soap, time like a bar of soap is irreplaceable. The more you use it, the less you have left. You can't go back in time and 
make it all happen again or erase the time that has already transpired. People call it water under the bridge sometimes. You can't call that water back flowing down a river under a bridge, can you? It's, it's past. You can't get it to come back. Time is like that. Once it passes, it's gone forever. I really like what the Apostle Paul, how he put it in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2. At the end of that particular verse, he's talking about making a decision. He's talking about making up your mind to be baptized into Christ, to change your life, to become a Christian. And he says, now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. We don't have yesterday. We don't have a minute ago anymore. And a minute in the future is not yet here. It may not come. But we have right now. The immediacy of the moment is what we really have within our possession. We have the ability to take advantage of. But once that time has passed, once that moment is gone, we cannot call it back. We need to use our time wisely. We can learn from our mistakes. We can chuck the mess we might be in. And we can begin again from that perspective. I'm not going to keep doing what I have been doing. I'm not going to keep making the same mistakes that I've been making. Have you ever known somebody who keeps making the same bad choices, the same kinds of bad choices over and over and over again and suffers for them? And then when it gets through the suffering, you think, okay, you've learned now, right? I keep asking people. Something happens. I said, well, have you learned anything? You think, okay, somebody keeps suffering from bad choices, bad mistakes they've made, Maybe several different times, the same kinds of bad choices, same kind of suffering, and you think, okay, they've learned their lesson, surely. But they go right back and make the same kinds of bad choices again and suffer the same kinds of consequences. But your spiritual life is one area where you can have truly a new beginning. You can have a do-over you can have a fresh start. Now you cannot undo the past, but you can, from a spiritual perspective, you can chuck the mess and you can have a change that begins right then. It's called repentance. A change of mind that leads to a change of action, behavior, lifestyle. Jesus came into this world for a specific purpose. And that was to give us a chance for a new beginning from a spiritual perspective. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, who's lost? Everybody outside of Christ. Romans 3 and verse 23 says, We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you look in that same chapter, beginning with verse 9, go through verse 11 or so, he, it's repeated there. You can look at other texts of scripture that say the same thing. All of us are lost outside of Christ. So Jesus came to give each one of us the opportunity for a new beginning, a new beginning. Let's look at a couple of examples from both a physical and spiritual perspective. There was a paralytic man that Jesus gave a new beginning to. Paralyzed. Interesting. 
in Luke chapter 5, verses 18 through 25. We're not going to read the whole text, but we're going to read some excerpts from it. Now, let's look. Verse 18. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. The setting was Jesus was in a house, and there were people crowded within that house all around. Even the doorway was stopped up, basically, with people wanting to get closer to Jesus, listen to his teachings. And so here comes these men, and they're carrying on a bed or a pallet, or we might say, might think of it as a stretcher, whatever it was. But on some kind, the text, one text at least says a bed, probably not like the bed we're used to sleeping on every night in our homes. But nevertheless, they're bringing this man who is paralyzed, they're bringing him to see Jesus because they believe that Jesus can heal him of his paralysis. It's difficult to imagine, difficult to imagine what it would be like to be paralyzed. Unable to move, cannot cross your legs, cannot reach out to somebody in greeting and shake their hand. Cannot cover your mouth when you cough. Can't scratch your head when it itches. Difficult to imagine. Cannot take a step. Cannot raise up out of a chair. This man was paralyzed. Now, from a physical perspective, a whole lot of people would have said, we can't get in. And they might turn to Fred laying on the bed and say, Fred, I'm sorry, we can't get in. The doorway is stopped up. There's people everywhere in there. We cannot even push our way in with your bed. But these men did not give up. They did not give up. I knew a young boy who, on one occasion, he dove into a lake or a pond to go swimming. Did not realize how shallow the bottom was under the surface of the water and he broke his neck, and he was paralyzed for the rest of his life. As a young man, still living in Chicago before I went into the ministry, I would periodically go into the home of the preacher and his wife next door to the church building, and I would pick her up and carry her into the church building because she was almost completely paralyzed. And I wasn't the only one who did that. And I was just one of a number of different men who did that for her. Interesting. You can see handicaps in others, and we should thank God that, but by the grace of God, there go I. This man was paralyzed. Well, the men went to considerable lengths to take care of the situation anyway. So verse 19 says, when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up in the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before him. I've often thought, what must that have looked like to the people, first to Jesus, but also to the people standing all around him in that particular room of that house listening to him teaching. All of a sudden, daylight is coming in through the roof. I wonder if pieces of that tiling, that roof tiling kind of fell down upon some of the people there. 
But all of a sudden, certainly they must have got, it must have caught their attention. What, what's going on here? Looking up, and here are these men, they're taking the roof section apart over where Jesus was standing and teaching, and then they let that bed down with that paralyzed man on it before Jesus. And so the crowd who was before Jesus, they must have kind of drew back, made room for the bed to come down, for this paralyzed man to come down into the presence of Jesus. It's pretty graphic imagery when you stop and think about it. Well, verse 20, Jesus gave that man the ultimate new beginning. When he saw their faith, he said to him, that is to the man on the bed, the paralyzed man, man, your sins are forgiven you. That was not what that man was expecting as the first response of Jesus being lowered down on his bed before him. He came to be healed physically. I believe that was probably his primary thought. The men lowering him down from the, from the roof. That's what they were looking for. But Jesus' first response was to give him the ultimate new beginning. He said, your sins are forgiven you. Now, when you think about Jesus' initial response, as compared to what the man was expecting and the men who lowered him down on that bed were expecting, Healing the man of his physical problem was by far of secondary importance. Remember what we just read in Luke, chapter, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. The son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now he performed miracles during his ministry upon this earth for those three or three and a half years. That was to demonstrate, to verify that he truly is God the Son, the Savior, the Messiah prophesied in the scriptures, and that he came to be the Savior. So there could be no question. The Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, preaching that first sermon on Pentecost, as the church came into existence, he, he emphasized that. You saw the miracles, the signs, the wonders that he performed in your midst, demonstrating that he truly is the Savior, the Son of God. You have no excuse for not believing in him. No excuse for rejecting him. Well, that's what he came for primarily, to seek and to save the lost. But here was this man. He was paralyzed. And so the first thing Jesus took care of, he gave him that ultimate new beginning spiritually. Your sins are forgiven. Well, then the scribes and the Pharisees began to criticize, at least between themselves, what Jesus had just said. Beginning with verse 21, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man? Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Now, in their mind, Jesus saying your sins are forgiven you was blasphemous because only God can forgive sins. They were, not, they were discounting that they were standing before God the Son. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, 
Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise up, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then look at him turn and face the man. Or perhaps look down and face the man. And in a fluid motion, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your home. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Jesus demonstrated, I have the power to forgive sins. That was what the man needed most of all, a new beginning, forgiveness, spiritually. But since you question whether I have that kind of authority or power, let me demonstrate I can also heal the man. Rise up and walk. And the man did. The ultimate new beginning, the ultimate new beginning was the forgiveness, the redemption. Well, Jesus also gave an adulterous woman a new beginning. We need to understand that because there are a whole lot of people out there so, so buried in sin in their lives that some of them even think I can't be forgiven surely. God surely would not want to forgive me or else their mind is just so clouded with their sinful lifestyles that they can't even think hardly about changing spiritually, about seeking forgiveness and becoming a Christian, about changing their lives, putting, out, putting away the sinfulness that they've been living in and walking with God through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, we read, beginning with verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him, that is to Jesus, and I believe we're to understand they, they brought this woman before him to test him, to see what he would say, maybe to try to catch him in a mistake. So they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, that is to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. In other words, there was absolutely no question that she had committed adultery. Then they go on and they start to, to uh, maybe school Jesus perhaps. But really, again, they're, they're almost certainly testing him. What are you going to do about this now? Are you going to stay true to the scriptures? So they say, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Well, what do you say? Now, if we read the full context of scripture there, we would remember that Jesus bent down and began writing in the sand or the dirt on the ground. And the challengers watched. I've always wondered, what was he writing? That's just in my mind. What was he writing? But anyway, they were watching. And then ultimately, he said 
let you who is without sin cast the first stone. Self-reflection all of a sudden on the part of those challengers. And so they began to just walk away from the oldest to the youngest. And then Jesus approached the young woman, or maybe an older woman, I don't know. But verse 10 says, when Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, all the accusers, all of the challengers, they were gone. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? She said, no one, Lord. Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, understand, he was not excusing her in her sin. He was not condoning it. He was not sanctioning it. She was not free to go back and continue to commit adultery. He said, go and sin no more. Perhaps in that statement we can understand, I'm forgiving you, just as he forgave the paralyzed man. Now, again, what she needed was the ultimate new beginning. She needed to understand, I can be forgiven. Whatever the relationship was, however long it had been going on, maybe there had been multiple such relationships of her sexual immorality. Whatever it was, she needed to understand, I I can chuck this mess. I can get a do-over. I can start again fresh. Jesus forgave her of her sins. He did not just save her physical life, but he saved her spiritual, eternal life. The ultimate new beginning. How many people are out there just thinking they have no hope because of what they've been doing in life? How they've been living. But Jesus says, I can forgive even you. Even you can be forgiven. Even you can have a new beginning. See, just as with that paralytic man, just as with that adulterous woman, Jesus offers you a new beginning, a new beginning. When we look at ourselves here among us today, when we think about some of the ones who may be off traveling during this season of the year, we look around us, there are all kinds of sinful practices, maybe lifestyles in our past because we're human. And we all needed that new beginning. We all needed forgiveness. And Jesus says, I can give you that new beginning. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, look how it's put. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, in other words, bright red, they stand out in the eyes of God. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And again, the imagery being white clean. You can be cleansed by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. A picture of heaven, a picture of the redeemed in heaven. Revelation 7 and verse 14, John speaking, he says, I said to him, 
Sir, you know. So he said to me, and there's a view of the redeemed there in heaven. And that one speaking to John says, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. We just partook of the Lord's Supper as we refer to it. The cup that we, we partook of, to us we understand this is a representation. This is in essence to us a reminder of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us to die and in the shedding of that blood to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. And through his blood being shed for us, we can be forgiven ourselves as we come to him, as we are baptized into him, as we are plunged beneath the waters of baptism, the blood that he shed on the cross cleanses us of the guilt of our sins. And as we come up out of that watery grave, we are reborn spiritually. We are made new, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. We have been washed clean of the guilt of our sins, Acts 22 and verse 16. Jesus allowed himself to be offered as that sacrifice, to give each one of us and everybody else out there and everybody else who will live until he comes again. And all of those who have lived since he ascended back to heaven until now the opportunity to grab on to a new beginning, the ultimate new beginning. Hebrews 9 and verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who, the, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from good works, or from dead works rather. How much, how much more shall what he did for you in dying on that cross cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In Hebrews 8 and verse 12, God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. If I understand that word remission in Acts 2 and verse 38, when many of the Jews asked Peter and the rest of the apostles on Pentecost, what shall we do? They had just heard the gospel sermon preached to them. What shall we do? Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If I understand that word remission, it means completely wiped away as, to, as, for, as far as record is concerned. It no longer exists. The record of your sins in God's eyes no longer exists. Completely blotted out your sins, your guilt. And here Hebrews 8 and verse 12, it tells us basically the same thing. God says, I will forget their sins when they come to me for forgiveness through Jesus. Psalm 103 verse 11 the psalmist wrote along this line, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far 
he removed our transgressions from us. The east is east, the west is west, someone has said, and never the twain shall meet. And that's the point. So far, God has removed the guilt of our sins from us. When we are baptized into Christ, the ultimate of new beginnings. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, again, it's as we're baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. When we look at Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. To not take advantage of this new beginning of being forgiven, of being redeemed, of being saved spiritually, of being given the promise of eternal life, the consequences of not taking advantage of that are too horrible really to contemplate. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it talks about on that final day of judgment, the Lord Jesus will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says they shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of God and the glory of his power. Revelation 21, verse 8, talks about that reality, describes it, likens it to being a river of fire. It's talking about eternal condemnation. It's talking about eternal judgment, punishment, torment, being lost forever in hell. Now, the question for each of us is, obviously, we need to make the personal application. It's neat to read stories about people who have been given that ultimate new beginning forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, redemption. But through the gospel, Jesus is calling you if you have not yet responded to it in obedience. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can do it because God will help you. And he wants so much to give you that new beginning. In Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 3, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, notice this last statement, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And again, what did Paul write in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse, uh, verse 17? In response to the reality that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, where's our head? Where's our thought? Will you accept this opportunity for your ultimate new beginning? Because in 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 17, Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. See, new beginning, a do-over, a mulligan on life, a new start, a start over. 
He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now is the time. No question about that. He had said in an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That man who was paralyzed, right then was the time he needed to be forgiven. That woman who was taken in adultery and faced the possibility of being stoned to death, executed for her sin, that was when she needed forgiveness, right then. And you need that do-over, that ultimate new beginning right now if you're not living right before the Lord yourself. We could look at those verses again. Why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins. And again, be born again in Christ in newness of life. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4. If you need to be baptized into Christ, he's there waiting. He's already said, come to me. I will give you spiritual rest. I'm ready to forgive you as you're baptized into me for the remission of your sins. Now, you may think of all kinds of other problems in your life, but the most pressing need for that new beginning is to get your spiritual life right, to come to Christ for forgiveness and salvation. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?